Sickness in Time by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair Chapter 6 Villagen, Switzerland Josh watched the seconds pass on the clock on the wall panel. Far more exciting things were available for him to view there. Headlines from around the world, weather reports, water prices and exchange rates and quality reports, a celebrity gossip show. His own name flashed by once or twice. His notoriety was still cycling out of immediacy. Still, his fascination remained with the clock, ticking steadily away with no judgment or agenda. It was soothing in its way. Finally, a door opened, and Min Jun Dan entered, head already pitched forward in apology. Two badge security officials flanked him, shuffling nervously, not sure where to stand. Josh, my friend, thank you for your patience. It was a peculiar problem we faced. You see, you are the first outside visitor we've ever had, so there's no procedure for how to bring you into the building in a way that satisfies all the important paranoias. As if to punctuate this, one of the guards raised his palm and, using the lens mounted there connected to a basic wrist device, took a picture of Josh, then asked for his fingerprint, which Josh provided by pressing his thumb onto the face of the wrist device. Your security must have about 5 million images of me from while I was just sitting here. Is it not strange that we try to make security so predictable, but constantly wanted to have a human touch? Josh scratched unconsciously at his neck as he followed Minjun into a sterile corridor. I've cashed so many checks over that problem. People would hire my firm to design better TalkBot software. A lot of my competitors focused on the timber of the simulated voice, trying to lick that uncanny valley issue and make it sound more human but that's not really the problem. The problem is that we're spoiled by human shorthand in conversation. We convey so much with tone that even when we have terrible grammar, we have some hope of being understood. The guys who want these talk bots want conversation trees that can direct people to the exact solution. But the most efficient ones in the world still leave people feeling cold and unsatisfied because computers are terrible guessers and they don't feel what we're going through, so they ask more and absorb less. Most of the time, what makes people happy is just feeling like they've been heard and understood. It's not talking to a machine that makes them feel alone. It's that the machine always seems to be across from them rather than at their side. We've gotten better at that, but we've never licked it. Minjin smiled as they stopped outside a lab door. Very profound. We do want people by our side. The door scanned his retinas. Then, a projected number pad appeared on the door's surface and Minjin typed in a quick sequence. The door opened into Minjin's lab. Look at my desk. What do you see on it? Minjin asked. Josh sighed. If you have another lesson for me about the philosophy of simplicity... You've brought me a long way to hear it. Minjin replied evenly. 
Someday I will resume that argument with great pleasure. For now, just look and tell me what you see. On the screen or on the surface? On the surface. On top of the desk. Okay, I see your little teapot and cup. A potted orchid. That's it. All right. Turn around and look at the shelf behind you. What do you see? Two more orchids. You like orchids a lot. I truly do. And you can see that the door has closed behind us and was very secure and hard to enter. Jesus, Minjin, you sound like you're setting up a magic trick. In a way, I am, but one that is far more real than any magic trick ever performed. Also, far more expensive. Now, this next part is very important. I'm going to create a reaction in the accelerator chamber. You will be able to watch it from here, and I insist you follow along. Minjin, what I understand about particle physics could fit on the palm of my hand. I know many particle physicists who would find the makings of a very funny joke in that remark. Nonetheless, I insist. Everything depends on you watching the screens with me as I work on them. Josh shrugged. How much leeway do you get to do expensive nonsense here? Minjin began to play the keys projected across his desk like a pianist. Over the last year, more leeway than anyone should be trusted with. Josh couldn't decipher the impact of what Minjin was doing, but he saw the readouts for two different particle accelerators and that Minjin was most definitely accelerating something in them while preparing a beam of some kind. Josh knew that the Villagen facility was one of the most advanced in the world, but what that actually translated into, he had no idea. For all Josh had unburdened his work woes, which seemed inseparable from his life woes, on his good friend, Minjin had, in turn, hardly ever talked about work and seemed to consider it an act of friendship for Josh not to ask. See how I start this timer here? Minjin said, tapping one virtual button, which started a countdown. We are two minutes away from something very exciting. Or rather, something exciting has already begun, and in two minutes it will be done. Now, my good friend, keep looking. Josh had remembered a test he had taken as a child. He had been left alone in a room with the marshmallow and been told that if he could wait for ten minutes and not eat the marshmallow, he would be rewarded with a second. His understanding was that just about every child of his age failed this test miserably, being unable to see beyond their immediate desires, unable to conquer impulse with reasoning. Five-year-old Josh, however, had stared fixedly at the marshmallow, disappearing into a private mental zone of contemplation. And when his parents and the doctor entered to congratulate him, he had only asked how many he would get for 10 more minutes. Staring and waiting was not a problem, provided he had faith it was worth it. The real-time monitors displaying the accelerators flashed. Josh heard nothing, the speakers were off, and he didn't imagine that the sub-sub-sub-atomic particles in play made a lot of noise to begin with. Still, he was sure if he were there in the flesh, he would hear some powerful magnetic thrumming or the like. It was rather like being in space. Josh had done that once. 
At his level of wealth, you could experience just about anything. Then the countdown hit zero. The screens flooded completely with white light, and all the readouts went haywire for a moment. Minjin powered everything down, tapped a few buttons, and typed out a report, which, using the automated syntax of hundreds of similar reports, took him only six keystrokes. We have had a successful launch. Of course, I knew it would be successful before we started. That's the marvel of it. Okay, Minjin, now you're just being cute. What did you do? Turn around and look at the shelf. Josh did. There was a small, rectangular plate of metal there now, a solid lump with some letters etched into the surface. Josh took a couple steps towards it to see it more clearly. The letters in the surface simply read, Hello, my friend Josh. Josh smiled because it was just like his friend to want to pair a cosmic marvel with something impish. Okay, so we work from the assumption that you're not bullshitting me or using mirrors, right? Is this M-E-M? He used the initialism for matter-energy-matter that had entered into common parlance once speculation had begun in earnest that such a thing might be possible on the subatomic scale. If so, congratulations. You've leapfrogged everyone and got us right to Star Trek about two centuries early. A good guess, but you leave out one important detail. Josh caught up before Min Jin's sentence was done. There's nothing here to reassemble it. It can't be just beam delivered. Is it safe to touch? I mean, it's not radioactive. It's slightly radioactive, but no worse than going to the dentist. Josh picked it up. It was cold. He had guessed hot, but it had been a pure mental coin toss. Okay, Minjun, I give up. What the hell did you do here? What I did was not M-E-M. For all I can tell, the object never ceased to be matter. For all you can tell? Wow, so you're in some oogie-boogie territory now. The key question is not how it arrived, but when it arrived. Josh paused for a moment. Wow, yeah, that happened incredibly quickly. I mean, as fast as I can turn around. Wait, is that why you kept me staring at the screens? So I wouldn't see it arrive? Yes, although there is more complexity in that answer than you yet see. Come, sit down and look at the monitors with me. Josh complied, his head still spinning with a desire to consider practical applications for whatever Min Jin was showing him. It was a fulfilling distraction, if nothing else. One of the most truly novel situations to which he'd ever been asked to task his brain. Min Jin searched through a menu on the monitor. Our security system demands that we always have a monitor pointing out from our desks. Our archives know every face I make when I'm looking at a problem. Watch us from a few moments ago. And just like that, their faces from before the experiment stared back at them. Josh grimaced to see his own expression full of dull hyperfocus. Once again, he heard Minjin say, See how I start the timer here? 
We are two minutes away from something very exciting. Wait a minute, Josh interrupted. Back that up. So you see? You're damn right I see. Josh instinctively reached for the controls and Minjin released them with grace. Josh backed the video footage up. As the recorded Minjin pressed the button to start the two-minute timer, the little metal plate just appeared on the shelf behind them. No fizzle of energy, nothing to announce it at all. It was simply not there in one frame, and then there, whole, in the next. Actually, it seemed to appear in the air a half inch above the shelf, then drop and settle with a noise so slight he hadn't registered it in the moment. It arrived before the countdown finished, but you said the countdown led to the launch. Minjin was pointedly silent, allowing Josh the seconds needed to make the leap to the truly radical thought. Did you send it back in time? The real problem with time travel turned out to be space, Minjin confessed as he peeled an orange. The cafeteria had been vacated so they could converse in private. Josh had coffee in front of him and a stunning view of the Alps to his right. We are perpetually traveling in space, though we do not think about it. If you picked, say, the center of the galaxy as a reference point, We have moved countless miles just since you and I sat down. In essence, he said, pulling out a wedge of orange and biting into it with great pleasure. We stumbled onto time travel at least three years ago, but weren't aware of it for some time because of space. The particles we were sending through time were ending up somewhere out in the cosmos, far from our detection. You said the plate was delivered by gravity? Josh was trying his best to catch up with something barely five people on the planet understood. It is more accurate to say it was delivered by a weakness of gravity. Gravity is a very elastic, susceptible force, and there are good reasons for this to be so. But it is also something that we can manipulate. What we discovered was that certain particles, Higgs singlets we call them, have the capacity to pass outside of the four dimensions of ordinary space and time and then re-enter them. This has made the string theory boosters quite smug. As we accelerate them closer to the speed of light, they gain mass under the ordinary principles of relativity. And they drag a kind of distortion field behind them, a gravity wake, we call it. We found that ordinary matter could be grabbed by this wake literally, towed, on the same parabolic path out of space-time and then re-enter. This began to resemble an equation Josh could understand. So this really is navigation. You create the particle and you chart a path for it so that once it accelerates out of time, it re-enters when and where you want it to, dragging the package with it. The calculations for that, I mean... It's why we've started so simple and so small. To move something of that size two minutes back in time and a few hundred feet is the height of our sophistication after many experiments. But it's just a Moore's Law situation, right? I mean, 
Your range will increase as the years pass and the calculating power of computers increases. Min Jin set down the orange and wiped his fingers with a damp napkin. Josh, this is why I wanted to show this to you. Your speech alarmed me so deeply. I wondered if we really had the time. I wanted you to see this so I could ask you that if we could reach back, actually send a message into the past to change the direction we've come, would that increase our chances? Josh was already several steps down this road. He was speculating on ways to increase the Institute's calculating power, possibilities of using processes already in place to shorten steps in the navigation plotting, the articulation of a margin of error that accounted for increasing spatial distortion and rogue gravitational influence. And in that brew of consideration, a simple question emerged. Why didn't you let me look directly at the shelf? Why just show me a video after? Minjin looked out at the mountains. The snow on their peaks looked like a great pile of gold in their thirsty world. Because I think that would not have worked. You think? Minjin chuckled with nervous humility, as if apologizing for his failure to master the universe. Yes, you see, I cannot ever remember directly observing the arrival of an object. It occurs to me that, seeing it, we somehow adjust ourselves mentally to a reality where the object is simply there. Are you suggesting that we get selective amnesia if we look directly at an object that's traveled through time? I'm saying that there is something about the process which is fundamentally outside the capacity of human consciousness. It is something that, I think, we're not supposed to be doing. According to whom? That is the question we have always asked, isn't it? Josh let Minjin have his spiritual moment. It was not an actionable answer to the problem. The idea of minimal invasiveness, though, was a compelling one. It was the beginning principle of design and programming. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. Josh was ready to start already. So, he declared, the two operative questions are, how far back do we go? And what do we change? Josh hoisted the box through the door and into Sierra's new room. He had already configured all the screens to her private profile, locked their access to the full network, she was too young for that stuff, and set the environment the way she liked it. Even though she had never been to Switzerland, the room would be the one she knew in every way but its physical dimensions from the moment she walked in. Children always needed an extra tactile familiarity, though, so Josh set down the box filled with her puzzles and toys and dolls in the middle of the floor for her to organize as she liked. Come on in, Nugget, he called out. Sierra walked in cautiously, holding Lamar's hand. She had a thoughtful look on her face and examined the room from the doorway, looking from floor to ceiling. She walked past the box to the window. She looked out into the courtyard and beyond, to the curve of the hill leading down to the village. What was this place before it was a house, she asked. Josh felt an incredible swell of pride. She was already going three moves ahead in her mind 
It might make it tricky to talk to her peers, but Josh followed perfectly. It was a hotel, a small one. People would come here to stay when they were going skiing. Are we going to have time to ski? Josh underlined the question in his mind. The project with Minjun was now his only pursuit in life. They would live here until they either failed or stopped or against all odds succeeded. He remembered a time when he was just 14 years old and he had his first brilliant idea. He had been grounded from the old internet for downloading movies. Such a ridiculously quaint crime. And he had snuck out of the house, craving access. He had been so feverishly committed to getting back online, mentally mapping the neighborhood to find nearby friends, guessing the walking distance to the library, and trying to remember its closing time. All that mattered to him was re-entering the unceasing virtual stream. He had passed the high school, heard sounds of whispering and sneakers scraping against the pavement. He had thought about hopping the fence to see who it was and what they were up to. Instead, shy and self-conscious, he had walked towards the track and field. There he had stopped and watched as, under the lights, a woman jogged around the track. Her huffing breaths traveled across the night air to his ears as she rounded the dirt oval not hurried, but never slowing. She seemed so focused, so privately determined, and to young Josh, that looked like the only form of peace he had ever sought. And so, even in his street clothes, never having cared about exercise in his life, Josh had gone out to the track and started running too. Less than a single lap reduced him to wheezing exhaustion. But as he had strained for air, he had an idea. He had taken the idea home and written his first software app. It made him half a million dollars. His parents never took his phone away again. Josh made a half-joking deal with a higher power that he was pretty sure he didn't believe in. That if they found time to ski, he might get another bolt of insight. This time, the one the whole world really needed. A Sickness in Time by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair If you love listening to this podcast, please leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Learn more about the novel by visiting www.sicknessintime.com